Welcome back to the Beer O'Clock Podcast. This episode, we interview Evan Craney, National Sales Manager of Bright Brewery. We were going to wait till we got out of lockdown to do this, but we couldn't wait any longer. So please enjoy our chats. And uh, as usual, you can get in touch with us at angus at beeroclockaustralia.com or dylan at beeroclockaustralia.com. Thank you very much. And we'll see you again soon coming to chat with us on the uh, beer o'clock podcast um it was good of angus to reach out we've been trying to get someone from bright on for a while so um it, it's great to finally get the opportunity awesome yeah thanks for um thanks for having me i know we've been going back and forth angus and i for a, a few months now but i think uh between lockdowns and everything else that's going on we just never been able to find a time so yeah it's, it's good to finally kick this one off <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like you, you just got married, did you? Ed? I did. I think the act the last time we uh, we tried to set a date, um, you picked my wedding day. So I figured um, <laughs> the wisest move for me to do a podcast on that day. Um, but here we are. So. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your background in the industry, and then I think we'll get into brighter bit and see how that sort of intertwines and go from there. Yeah, too easy, mate. So. Um, uh, I've been around, I'm trying to think now, um, probably since about 2012, 2013, the industry um, started like a lot of people uh, just in liquor um, working in restaurants and, and bottle shops and things like that. Um, it was about 2013 when I started managing a independent bottle shop uh, in Melbourne's southeast suburbs um, and basically fell into craft beer just by chance. So it was, it was kind of the emergence of the wider craft beer scene. It was pretty much when the gypsy brewers boom started. So, um, you know, they'd already been sort of stalwarts, the industry like mountain goat and, um, ironically bright, um, yep. had been around for um, <laughs> quite some time then. Um, but that was when I guess access to new breweries really existed. Um, sort of when Cavalier, I guess, from a, a Victorian perspective started offering, um, their brewery at the likes of Kaiju and Dainton and, um, breweries of the nature brew cult, um, and yeah, so I started there. Um, the store quickly went from, you know, about 10 different lines to I think 700. Um, wow. You know, yeah. quickly became a bit of a destination store. Um, so within 12 months, you know, we were doing, yeah, as I said, you know, we had about 700 lines. Um, we had four big sort of bays of it. We had a multiple fridges. Um, we were one of the first uh, bottle shops in Victoria that I'm aware of to have a growler system as well. Um so we were offering uh, up to 25 different beers a week in growler format, and this is going back 2013. So mm. um, we're only really seeing a, a, about seven years later the adoption of growlers, so I think we were pretty early to that. Um, from there, I started working uh, with a bunch of different breweries and distributors, so sort of fell into the, the traps of wanting to get out of hospitality and retail and went into sales. Um, so initially worked for a distributor that uh, did Rodenbuck, Kuwaito, um, some German beers, nail brewing from WA at the time. Um, yep. After that, Heron. started working directly. Heron, yeah, Heron Beverages. Yeah. So, um, yeah, awesome. Um, I don't think many people start their sales career at Rodenbuck. So, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good problem to have, yeah. selling Rodenbuck. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I think we were, yeah, when I started, it was the first time they brought the cans in as well. So you're talking about the can beer boom and the sour beer boom and Belgian beers. It was a was a nice storm um, or perfect storm for me to start. Um, and from there I've done, uh, I've done some stints around different breweries. So um, I was part of Dainton Brewing when uh, they started up. 
Um, yep. So I'd sort of known Dan um, when he had initially started uh, the Gypsy Brewing. Then when he purchased the site, which they're currently on now in Carrum before um, they actually built the brewery, I came in. So I worked there for about two years, um, got the brewery up and running. Uh, at that stage, um, made the decision to move over to Bodrigi Brewing, who were pretty much at the exact same stage just two years later. Um, yep. Went to uh, the stage there where they're about to open the brew pub and thought, I don't like working for breweries that have breweries. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> um, uh, and then a couple of years ago, sort of found myself uh, at Bright Brewery, which I can't imagine myself ever leaving, to be honest. So That's great. And you're Melbourne-based for Bright? Or do you yeah, go up so there? I'm, the, I, I'm, I'm currently the only um, Melbourne-based team member, um, mm-hmm. which is not a distinction that I enjoy, to be honest. Uh, but <laughs> when... When we're not getting locked down, um, I tend to sort of split my time about 70-30. Um, so I spend any up to 10 days of the month um, in Bright. So I do try, travel up there quite frequently, um, but the rest of the time based in Melbourne. So, yeah. Do they have um, – how many employees are at Bright now? Um, just to, just, to, just so to we, give context to you being the only Melbourne-based one. Okay, yeah. So we have and flow throughout the year. Um in the quieter season, we'll sort of run down to about 50 staff members. Um, and then in the summer months, we can go as high as 75 to 80. Um, majority of the 50 um, that would be in the quiet season, I'd say probably 80% of those are full-time employees as well. And um, so uh, we have quite a large uh, admin team, marketing team, production team, um, and then kitchen and, and venue as well. So that en- encompasses all of the uh, the teams together. It's a pretty, uh, I, I think there was a story end of last year. Did you have four broken collarbones across the staff last year? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's not even the worst of it, to be honest with you. So for those who uh, who don't know much about Bright itself, um, it's a bit, or it's an adventure town, as uh, anyone that lives there will tell you. So a lot of people move up there um, for the ability to go mountain biking through the summer and skiing or snowboarding in the winter. Um, a lot of our staff are very keen mountain bikers. Uh, actually, every Tuesday, there's a staff ride in the morning. Um, I tried to put a halt to that last year as week on week uh, we had, and it was always kitchen members too. Um, I just think chefs have no fear. Um, we're coming off their bikes and, yeah, broken collarbones, uh, broken wrists, with a, uh, someone ruptured their spleen, um, like, and it was just, and, and all within about a four-week period. It just kept happening to the point where, I, I said that yeah, I think we should just stop this because we don't have the staff members to um to to spare at the moment. So it's slowed down a little bit the last few months. We've been pretty lucky. Um, one of our chefs, who's also a brewery ambassador, um, her name's Sammy. Uh, I've claimed that it was her fault and that she was the bad luck. Um, behind it, she was the evil monkey foot of the brewery. So we um we actually got some white sage and burned her. Um, just cleansed her of her bad spirits. And since then, no one's been injured. So I, I think that uh, that proves that it was the truth. Um, and so when you joined sort of a couple of years ago, that's sort of when Bright was going through that sort of transitional phase where we started seeing more of it pop up around Melbourne. Was that sort of what yep. you were brought in to do? Yeah. So um, the background of Bright Brewery is uh, the business itself starts in 05. And the first beer is brewed on site in Bright or in 06. Um, for those who are old enough to experience that, I'm not. Uh, so when the brewery started, I wasn't even able to drink yet legally. Um, but uh, it was a very, it was basically a tin shed. And over the years, the tin shed progressed into what it is now, which is a 500 plus uh, venue. 
but the brewery equipment basically didn't keep up to the capacity of the brewery. So what we found was up until around about 2018, um, we'd maximised the volume of production that we could actually do on the systems that we had, and that was being cannibalised by the venue. So um, what ended up happening was we purchased a old dairy uh, in Bright. So we wanted to keep the business in Bright, um, a little bit further down the road, about a kilometre down from the existing site. Um, we then installed a new production brewery um, with the whole sole purpose of basically going to wholesale. So we commissioned that. We had that up and running um, around about, uh, I think, August of 2018. Uh, and then we started sort of evolving into um, wholesale from there. I came in um, at the start of 2019, I think now. Yeah. Um, and I guess we just sort of, we've moved from there. And even since then, we've had huge changes. I mean, a pandemic's happened as well, which has forced our hand a little bit. But um, from sort of the inception of our, our wholesale market to where we are now, it's it's apples and oranges. Yeah, that's sort of leading into where we're going with this a bit. Is your <laughs> Did you move into Cairns before the pandemic? Not long before. Like Not long from, before. From so, the old box, um, yeah. Yeah, so we were... Uh, we're a bottle brewery, um, as you know, so many established breweries uh, that have any tenure in the country were. Um, obviously, cans are a relatively new concept um, or ability to do so in a, in a um, profitable way. So I think our first canning run was November of 2019. Um, mm-hmm. So put that into perspective. Uh, when we did that, we did three different brews. We did two core range beers, with our, our pale ale and our lager. Um, and then we also did our Citrus Nipa, one of our limited releases that comes back uh, annually. Um, we did 100 cartons of each, and that was a, a big gamble for us at the time. I remember there was a lot of sweating um, happening about that. Can we move that kind of stock? Um, now we do, you know, minimum runs on every line of 600. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's really funny to see how that transitioned. So we did that in the November. I think we had our second run in the February um, mm-hmm. and then overnight, um, literally uh, when the shit sort of hit the fan and um, Melbourne sort of knew where we were headed, uh, we made a decision, I think within 12 hours of the first lockdown that we were moving to Cairns and we were mm-hmm. going to stick to that. We, as a team, sort of felt that was probably where we were headed anyway. Um, I've always said the COVID was kind of like the steroids, the brewery. Uh, it just forced us to move into a position we knew we had to a lot faster um, so it's, I think what, that was one of the best things that we did was we pivoted quickly and, um, yeah, we're fully cans now. So we did our last bottling run uh, in July or June. Um, mm-hmm. We actually have now got our own canning line, so we were obviously waiting on that. Before that, we were using a third-party service. Yep. Um, but, yeah, when the canning line in, went in, the, uh, the bottling line went out and our brewer is very adamant it's never coming back. So, <laughs> so if you want fresh, bright beer, make sure you're buying cans. Yeah, if you see a bottle, uh, let me know so I can get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, I've actually got a can of Alpine in front of me, and that is oh, beautiful, superb. Yeah, they nice. they also look so much better than the bottles; like they just stand on on the shelf that bit more. Yeah, so that's been a huge part of um, our change, especially in the past eighteen months. We, I think, our challenge as a brewery has always been, especially on the wholesale side of things. Establishing an 06, we already had some name value within industry. Whilst we might not have a larger wholesale presence, there was uh, an understanding of what bribery was as a, a country brewery, an established brewery. It had that sort of older mindset, and that was what the consumers expected from us. So we knew as we wanted to push to a wider audience, and I guess 
change the perception of who we are because um, we're actually quite a young dynamic team. Obviously, you know, there's long-term um, staff members and, and ownership mm-hmm. and things like that, but we were trying to focus. We were making these really interesting beers and we were quite dynamic in what we thought for the industry. So our branding has been a, an ever-evolving and ever-changing situation. It's something we put a lot of time into. Um, I'm a massive proponent of marketing and advertising, especially for breweries. Um, so, you know, Alpine that you've got in front of you, um, that's a, a shift from uh, where we were in the bottles. We're now in the process of even a slight shift again from where that can sits um, into a new aspect of our um, our product ranging. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we're working on that over the next six to 12 months, you'll see the next sort of transition to what we feel will be our long-term sort of um, marketing and, and uh, uh, I guess, yeah, perception that we're going to go forward with. It also, the shift to cans makes a lot of sense from your sort of sustainability angle because mm. you guys, are you fully solar now? Solar power? Not fully solar. So we yep. are doing, um, we're in the process of doing as much as we can. So um, the venue uh, is predominantly solar powered. We have to do some upgrades, um, which we're currently working on with the council for where the production brewery is. Um, so, you know, obviously our long-term goal is to get to net zero and all of these sort of things. Um, unfortunately, yep. there's so much infrastructure um, that we're working on. So we, we've got some plans in place um, to get there. Everything we do has sustainability at the forefront. So whatever we can do, we do do. Um, but yeah, that's we're not 100% there yet. We are always working towards it. It's a big goal, especially for Scott, who's the owner of Bright. Um, it's really, that's his flag um, that he'd like to put in the ground and, and that's what we stand for, so. Yeah, and on that front, you also launched PackTech, which is, I think why we originally wanted to speak to you back in yes. whenever yeah. you launched that. <laughs> um, so you're, you put those recycling things in, and now I think Endeavour Drinks have also put recycling in at Dance. Is that they right? They have, yeah. Yeah, so um, the PackTech system, uh, it's amazing that we were the first ones to, I guess, implement it on a wider mm. scale. I know a lot of breweries or stores have done similar plans, um, but I guess the, the, the bare bones of it is... Um, for those who are listening, uh, the pack techs are the uh, can holders you get, the four packs or six packs and the plastic holders. What we realised and what I especially realised last year um, as I was doing a lot of home delivery and sort of repacking, a lot of our consumers were hoarding them because they didn't know what to do with them. And then at the start of the year, a friend of mine basically asked the question, which I can't believe I hadn't posed to myself, what do I do with these? Um, And Brightbury looked into it and we found that as much as these are a recyclable product, there was no program currently in Australia to recycle them efficiently. Um, as you sort of go down the rabbit hole a little bit further, you find their biggest challenge is that um, if you place them in your recycling at home, they will not be recycled um, because they are actually made with a carbon black. Um, this is the thing that really shocked us. It's impossible for current machinery in Australia to um, use infrared to understand that it's recyclable. So the machines will spit them out. So what we've done since the implementation of the program is um, obviously we put these boxes into as many independent retailers as we can, um, but we've worked directly with PacTech with a manufacturer based in America um, who are actually amazing to work with, um, as well as Visi Australia um, and more recently uh, the IBA, the Independent Brewers Association um, and Endeavour Drinks to create a multi-state initiative. We've been a big part of um, the plan with Endeavour as well and how they were going to launch theirs to close the loop and actually create a system where anything that comes back, um, we can find an endpoint. So if we can't physically use it, whether it's damaged or whatever reason, 
and we now have a, a way to send it back. Vizzy are going to handle the actual recycling of it so we can close the loop, which has been a big part of sort of our plan for it. Um, we never thought it was going to be as big a program it is now. It's actually shocking how much time has been spent on this. <laughs> um, but again, it really, it's something that we're passionate about. Um, it's incredibly exciting to see big retailers get behind it as well. Um, you know, our plan um, is very much to launch this nationally um, but not as a bright brewery product. Um, unfortunately, we just don't have the logistics to run this nationally. So what we're trying to do now, um, working with the IBA, is create a system for other breweries to opt in um, and they can do it at a um, basically free of charge. So we're working with Vizzy and Pactech to basically set up a system where breweries can request as many bins as they need. They can allocate the zones they want to put them in. They'll have a full closed loop situation. Um, but that'll be a way to, I guess create it further so the challenges of us logistically is we can't service them but we want to give the tools to other breweries to do so we've had so many breweries and other um retailers from all across the nation reach out to us so that's our next stage as well is to to push it out to as many people as possible that's awesome because once you once you dig into that it is just an absolute disaster the whole plastic oh my god (laughs) certain lids not being recyclable and uh And it really shows the understanding of the um the craft beer base. Because I think Angus and I both had big piles of uh those pack tech six pack holders at home. Um, not knowing what to do with them, it's sort of like you don't want to just throw them out. But um, yeah. So I think it's it's a really great initiative, and um, I hope it does spread further through Australia. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's funny the amount of people when we started implementing it from all sides, whether they be consumers or retailers, that were almost in shock that something had finally happened for them to, <laughs> to fix the, fix the issue. I mean, I was going to retailers and they had, you know, no joke, a couple thousand stacked up against walls or in boxes at the back that they, they sort of knew at some point they were going to have to figure out what to do, but they were waiting to find a solution. Um, some councils were very open from the beginning. They wouldn't accept them. Other councils, I think just kind of turned a blind eye. So for us, this whole program is sort of about closing the loop um creating a situation where everyone can opt in really easily um and i guess a bit more awareness around it as well so yeah it's been amazing um in saying that i can't believe how many pack techs that i have uh, i've sent back for recycling it's insane <laughs> <laughs> how many of uh i've had in my garage waiting to get picked up so you do just tend to accumulate them and then feel a bit weird walking back into the bottle shop with another 30 of them and just <laughs> dropping them off it's also really confronting because then you uh you've rationalized how much you've probably spent or slash drank um yeah <laughs> so yeah getting getting rid of them makes me feel better because then if they don't pile up i don't have to uh i don't have to confront my drinking habits <laughs> don't have to do the maths yeah if that's not right in your no way. i used to work at a, a boutique bottle shop and um we had the exact situation you were talking about we we initially used them to make mixed six packs and then we just ended up having like boxes and boxes of them we're like we, we don't want to just chuck them out but we just don't know what to do yeah. with them <laughs> well i've been saying since uh yeah since we started rolling it out that for every one you use you give 10 back basically so yeah. every time a bottle shop would give out a mixed six pack the guy would be like oh thanks he's my other 10 that i used before um, yeah. and you just can't keep on top of it so yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a really it's a big initiative. It's a program that we're really proud of. Um, and we've partnered with some really great people. So IBA has been a huge support. Um, Packtech itself have been amazing. So um, probably the big surprise there is, yeah, it's a company whose interest is probably not in um, creating lesser demand for their product, but they are really sustainable. Um, and they 
based in America have offered so many resources to us in Australia to get that program going. I know they've been a big supporter of Endeavor as well. So, um, yeah, it's really cool to work with such a big company that's multinational in terms of its distribution and it's a big player in the industry that actually has a care for sustainability too. So on that, I mean, Bright obviously, you know, is a very community-minded brewery. Um, some of the other things you've done, you did the Power Pale Ale with um, climate change and the Alpine reason and um, uh, the XPA for the RSPCA. I forget the name of it right now. Yep. Doggo Brow. Doggo Brow. Yeah, I was going to say that. I'm like, am I just making yep. it up? Yeah, but uh, so <laughs> initiatives like that, do you find that they're a big part of sort of the story and like your job as a sales manager is to put that story out there as well as the beer? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, so one of the, the best parts of Bright Brewery for me and I think majority of the team is that a lot of these things are not top-down um, directions. This is a very collaborative business. Um, so Doggo Brow is actually an idea that I had had um, a couple of years ago. Doggo Brow was always the the code name. It was never meant to be the official <laughs> name. Um, but then I think everyone just sort of thought it was funny and, it, and, and I couldn't believe when we printed on a can. Um, but Power was... You know, powers are really important. So, powers uh, stands for Protect Our Winters. It's actually a climate change activist group, and um, that has bases all around the world. Um, it's most prominent in America and Japan, I believe. There is an Australian chapter which is ever growing. Um, I'm not a, uh, a ski bum, so I don't really do too much with the snow. Um, but a lot of the staff are, and it was brought by a few of the members of the team. They knew the um, the head of the Australian chapter, and they brought that forward. And so. What we find is that a lot of these ideas get brought forward. As a company, um, we want to support each other and each other's ideas, but then we do have a, a stance that we want to give back where we can. So, um, you know, whether it's bushfire things that we've done in the past before the pandemic or um, the RSPCA was a real big one for us, uh, you know, the fact that we're all dog crazy people too. <laughs> um, and then power. So we're constantly looking at um, opportunities like this, you know, where really fortunate to be in a place as a business that we can offer that opportunity and and offer those partnerships and you know we do a lot in the alpine region itself we sponsor a lot of community events and fundraisers and things of that nature we're very active and very involved in that space um so yeah looking to sort of widen that and any opportunity we get so yeah power and um power and rspca have been some awesome collaborators this year um, building from, you mentioned the bushfires, you've had a really big sort of last almost <laughs> two years now with bushfires yeah. into COVID. What's that sort of done to the brewery? Like have you gone, you would have obviously had a reasonable change from keg to pack. Um, what sort of is the impact of the lack of tourists as well up to bright on the business? Yeah. So um, yeah, for us, it's been, it's been a pretty long two years. Um so, yeah, starting with the bushfires, obviously, at the start of 2020 to where we are now. Um, I guess the big shifts for the venue uh, has been, you know, especially in 2020, uh, we lost our biggest weekends. Um, so, you know, the the New Year's um, period is huge for us. Uh, the Australia Day weekend and Easter, they're pretty much our three top-tier spots. So between the, the bushfires and the pandemic, we, we lost all that. Um, and then when you consider the fact that um, the town itself uh, has around about 20,000 uh, beds, so that's that's the number we get given. Um, but there's only around three thousand residents. You see that you know majority of the town's population, especially during weekends, is tourism. Um, so once that's once people are locked out, once bushfires have happened, um, it does become a bit of a ghost town. So it's really changed, I guess, 
the the feeling around town it's quite different it's getting better you know obviously they're being regional have been fortunate to have greater periods of being unlocked um mm. but in saying that it's a much quieter place than it was so you know we experienced that nice little bump uh of the 2021 20, summer of being open for quite some time and um you know it kind of you, you could see everyone was really thriving but it's definitely changed the feelings of, around it it's been hard for venue staff you know it's been a much quieter place to live um in terms of sort of our pack to keg transition uh the weirdest thing is it's almost a uh, full 180 in terms of data so prior to uh everything happening in the pandemic we were 80 percent uh keg based product and 20 percent pack we're now the complete opposite it's probably a little bit different now with the melbourne lockdown as well i haven't done any re- real data in the past two or three months um but we've had a massive swing the other direction as obviously packs become king our shift to cans our shift in branding our shift in creating a lot more limited release products also um push forward that narrative a lot more but yeah that's mm-hmm. it's, it's completely different so we are looking forward to the days where the doors are unlocked people can come up and they can drink again you know bars are open pubs are open and we can start getting some keg volume again because i miss beer off tap so bad right now <laughs> so bad <laughs> that's so, definitely so bad. reciprocated here at beer o'clock yes, <laughs> um um you also lost darker days is that officially cancelled for this year uh, so I don't know if I'm uh, I'm breaking any rules for my marketing team at the moment, but uh, yes, yeah. So um, for the second year in a row, unfortunately, we've we've lost Darker Days. We pivoted to three different dates this year for Darker Days. Um, the most uh, recent one was going to be uh, the start of October. Obviously, that's just not going to happen um, in its current state. So yes, unfortunately, against. Uh, Everything we've tried and all that we've done, we've had to we've had to put it on ice. But um, you know, I'm confident in 2022 uh, it's going to happen. And you know, we we changed the framework a lot for this year, and we made a decision after losing 2020 that you know 2021 was going to make up for it even more. Um, so we were going to create an even bigger, better festival. Uh, now that 2021's gone, 2022 has to be even bigger than that again. Um, so yeah, get ready for it next year. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that you you announced it on Instagram the other day. So we're all good on that. Oh, good. No breaking. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no breaking of any uh, marketing issues. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got anything else you'd like to talk about regarding Bright, regarding new products? This is your space. <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, I guess, um, you know, for us, we're... Our big things now is we're looking forward to uh, the doors being open, lockdowns ending, um, you know, restrictions easing and, you know, hopefully borders opening as well um, because as a, as, a, as a brand, as a company, you know, a lot of what we do and um, how we thrive is having people come to Bright and experience Bright. You know, we're advocates for the Northeast, we're advocates for the town. You know, uh, I'm famous for... If people ask me where to go in Bright, the last place I tell them is the brewery, not because it's the worst place to go, but because I'm so keen on the whole town itself. And I tell them all the amazing things that are up there and um, it is a big community. So, you know, as a business, we just can't wait to have people come back up um, or come down depending where they're from, but enjoy it. Um, I recommend anyone who is looking to come book early, um, get accommodation because I think once the doors are open, you know, hopefully come November at this stage, uh, it's going to go pretty crazy. So, you don't want to miss out. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, that, that's that's a big part of, you know, our plan going forward as well as, you know, 
we're looking to obviously grow um, our wholesale presence by, you know, having larger distribution. You know, over the last year we've um, we've gone national, so we can be found in every mm. state and territory except Northern Territory. Um, I really want to get product in Darwin just for the sake of it, but it's pretty hard. Um, we found out today we'll be uh, sending some stuff to New Zealand as well for the first time, so that's really exciting for us. Um, but yeah, keep an eye out. We've got some big campaigns coming. Um, we're about to launch in October a campaign called Big Bright Weekend, um, which we did a small run of it last year. But basically, um, you go on the there's a opportunity to win um, an all expenses paid trip to Bright on Bright Brewery and um, accommodation, food, beverage. Uh, there's an adventure activity in there if you're choosing as well. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming. We've got some really crazy beers coming out as well. The brew team are going um, full pelt out at the moment. So I think we're making some really exciting stuff. We like will to. definitely um, promote promote that bright weekend for you when that comes up because awesome. that sounds awesome. Bright's such a, such a great town to um, is, yeah. to visit. Yeah, and there's there's so many great places there now. I mean, we've got a, a local distillery in town, Reading Co., which is incredible. Um, some of the restaurants in town are just insanely good. They, they, I, I know every regional town will always say, oh, it's as good as Melbourne, um, but I genuinely believe we have places that are as good or better than Melbourne um, in terms of the offering that we have there. It's a really it's a really young, dynamic town at the moment. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, people in their sort of late 20s, early 30s have moved to the region in the past couple of years and um, are trying to uh, build it up into becoming you know, a real hotspot for tourism. And, yeah, I think if anyone has visited Bright before um, or hasn't been for a while, they'll see a real big change just in the past couple of years in terms of the offering. Um, the whole Northeast is a beautiful place too, so there's so much to do when you get up there. Yeah. Have you got anything else, Dylan? No, I think we've covered everything I wanted to. Just, um, <laughs> yeah, just obviously want to say thank you very much, Evan, for your time. Um, we're no, both big fans of Bright, so it's um, great to have some representation on the podcast. Awesome. Yeah.